Whether it's her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct has everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From the Abraham Lincoln Radio Studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center, Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. So we got a giant poll out about people running for president, particularly Biden and Trump. And uh, we'll get to that a little later this hour. But it's the day before Biden announces his reelection bid. And it's a lot of bad news. A lot of bad news. What a weird situation we're going into. I mean, way different than anything that has occurred in modern history. In modern history with, again, the headline number being. What percentage of people want Biden-Trump round two? 5% of voters want Biden-Trump round two. 5%. But that's likely so what we're about half. Right. <laughs> but that's likely what we're going to get. Isn't that something? Yeah, that is something. All of the dynamics are so off. Uh, yes. So a lot, of, a lot of stuff on that uh, topic to discuss. We have uh, Bill Maher being absolutely brilliant, speaking of, of lefties with principle on cancel culture and how uh, a communist China it's becoming. Um, so stay tuned for that and, and whatever else. Uh, I thought this was interesting. It's kind of not apropos of politics exactly or culture wars or anything like this, but I liked it. Kevin Williamson, who's a very, very smart guy, writes for The Dispatch. He's the guy that I always get confused with Charles C.W. Cook. I can never remember which one of them wrote 
something. But anyway, it's an aside, private aside people. to Jack. They are indeed, yeah, but both very smart men and conservative. Uh, but Williamson is writing about the economy right now. Uh, five words of wisdom is the uh, is the the title, which we'll get to in a minute. But the U.S. economy is stupendous, despite what you may be hearing. Hmm. Um, uh, I'm happy to hear that. Yeah, and he talks about how uh, when things are going well, it's difficult to get people to pay attention in virtually any setting, whether it's uh, your health or in in church. Nobody casts themselves down at the altar praying for the mercy of God because everything's going great. Is he is something he points out, which I thought was kind of interesting. And he says, ecstatic politics require a crisis. Gratitude is not a powerful enough emotion. What is required is terror, or at least it's 2% half-calf version anxiety, <laughs> which I thought was great writing. Anyway, he says, this is why we're all engaged in this preposterous talk about how poorly the U.S. economy is doing when the opposite is the case. The U.S. economy is a remarkable, stupendous, world-beating success story. We should take a second to appreciate that fact and how it came to be. And he goes into a bit of history, which is neither here nor there. But he gets to a couple of stats that I uh, was blown away by. And perhaps you will be, too. Today, after the rise of China, as a, oh, I'm sorry, I skipped the, uh, the best part. Uh, he's talking about the post-Cold War dividend. Uh, the Internet started to take off, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and in 1994, which is a great economic period, uh, the U.S. economy is such a powerhouse that the U.S. GDP accounted for almost a quarter of the economic output of the human race, about 24% back in 1994. Today, after the rise of China as a global economic power, after the financial crises of, or crisis of 2007 and 8, the Great Recession, all that, U.S. GDP as a share of world economic output has fallen all the way to 24%. It's the same number if you weren't paying attention. In fact, that current share is up a bit over recent years. In 2011, it was only 21%. That's interesting. Yeah. U.S. workers are by far the most productive of any major economy. I know I and am. Why, <laughs> why that is, um, is is a bit complicated having to do with education and infrastructure. And uh, we have so much going for us. We have the best of so many things that if you need to turn to this tool, this technology, this person to help you be productive, uh, they're there. The Imagine United if States. all those millions of people of working age who are living off the government were actually working what we'd be as a as a share of the world. Huh? Now, granted, uh, yeah, it's a good point. Uh, inflation is a big headwind at this point, but we did that uh, to a large oh. extent to ourselves. Yeah, I want to talk about uh, that later. God, inflation, woof, killer. Not entirely, but in 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 a lot of ways. Uh, and uh, finally, uh, the final note I want to share with you from the Williamson piece is: if you want the good news about the U.S. economy, read the foreign press. The economy, the Economist, gets it. Quote. On a whole range of measures, American dominance remains striking, and relative to its rich world peers, its lead is increasing. More astonishing and less appreciated than its ability to hold its place in the world as a whole is the extent to which America has extended its dominance over its developed peers. In 1990, America accounted for 40% of the nominal GDP of the G7. That's the world's biggest, seven biggest advanced economies. 40%, okay? Including Japan and Germany. Today, it accounts for 58%. It's wow. grown 18% since 1990. You suck! Talking about I'm those other countries. I'm not sure that was the point, but 
Um, uh, and, and then he adjusts it for certain factors, but it's, it's big and dominant. Uh, America's outperformance has translated into wealth for its people. Income per person in America was 24% higher than in Western Europe in 1990. Today, it's about 30% higher. It was 17% higher in, than Japan in 1990. Today, it is 54% higher. And he goes you know on with our, some, uh, you know what our, our, I think our biggest problem is, and our politicians do this to us for obvious reasons, because there's uh, there's lots of votes in 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 pretending that our middle class and whatever you want to call the group below middle class, pretending that they're all miserable, pretending yes. that everybody's just miserable and it's tough and barely getting by when our middle class and even our poor are wealthy by world standards and certainly by world history standards. Right, right. His whole opening about uh, terror and or anxiety, the sister of that, as you point out, is resentment and feeling that you're getting ripped off or jobbed in some way. That's that's the gasoline of politics. It really it's, it's too bad, too, because it's just it's just inaccurate. If um, if if middle class people are looking around and richer people are going on nicer vacations and having better cars is your is what's making you, you know, feel like you're getting screwed by the man that's not good that's not a good way to look at the world you're an an insightful chap jack Uh, here's the last thing i wanted to share he goes into comparing our um income per person to other countries Uh, A lot of that income growth was at the top end of the scale. The ultra-rich have indeed done ultra-well, but most other Americans have done pretty well, too. Median wages have gone up almost as much as mean wages. Uh, We don't have time for a stats class. A trucker in Oklahoma can earn more than a doctor in Portugal. The consumption gap is even starker. Britain, some of Europe's best-off inhabitants, spent 80% as much as Americans in 1990. By by 2021, that was down to 69%. In other words, y'all, person-to-person, job-to-job, have 31% more money to spend and enjoy in this great country with our incredible economy than Germany, than, than Britain, than Portugal. Japan is not even close. This economy is a powerhouse, and this country is great. Those statistics explain what I'm seeing in my real life that I've been wondering about for a while. The restaurants being packed, the airports being packed, the theme park where the tickets are $300 a person are packed. You know, that doesn't reflect a, uh, a, a great depression that we're living through. When you see a two-hour-long line with tickets that cost 250 bucks for a family of four, uh, and the restaurants are sold out and everything, the hotels are sold right. out. Yeah, so much of the in- income inequality thing is a fiction to gin up votes. One more thought. Three countries in the world with a higher mean income than the United States. Luxembourg, the United Arab Emirates, and Switzerland. Well, um, UAE doesn't count. Because they got the no. whole oil thing going. Luxembourg and Sweden, though. As we mentioned earlier, yeah. Sweden, country of 10 million people. So that's very, very small. It's like a city. Right, right. Free chocolate. And uh, what else is Sweden known for? Stortuses. Blonde stortuses to every household. And a chicken in every pot. In other words, as I said before, this is a great country with a booming economy. We need to remember why we've been so much more robust and innovative than so many other places around the world for so long. Liberty is at the heart of the answer. 
liberty, not charging higher fees for people with better credit ratings to subsidize others and and not hyper-regulation, not central planning, the opposite of that. End of screed. I get Sweden and Switzerland mixed up in my head. I do, too, all the time. Just because they start with S's, is that why? SW. And they're both northern European countries with mountains, I guess. With, with tall blonde haired people. Yeah, exactly. Right. Um, Never been to son, either one. Perhaps I will someday. My son got his mullet freshened up over the weekend. Nothing like mm. a fresh mullet to put a little oh, spring yeah. in your step. You got to tighten that thing up. <laughs> exactly. You got to get the sides shaved back down. That's what makes the mullet. You got to get the sides really good and short. Well, right. If it's business and front and party in the rear. Um, you got to have the business up front. Exactly. You got to tend to business like the American economy. That's the parallel. You never saw a happier 11 year old than when he walked out of that chair with his brand new mullet. <laughs> That's fabulous. So, you want to break uh, semi, semi, semi on time and get to the Mars stuff? Uh, we can do that. Also, need to mention or the more New York- mullet news. I'm not insisting, I'm just asking. <laughs> the New York Times editorial board. This got a lot of attention. Because this is coming out of the New York Times, their Sunday editorial board opinion piece. Biden should take voters' concerns about age seriously. New York Times hitting the president the week he's going to announce about his age. Glad that from- care. <laughs> exactly. We can read from that, among other things, coming up, too. Stay with us. Armstrong and Getty. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rock the baby to sleep and slam dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
Armstrong and Getty Show. I'm not going to talk about what 2024 is going to look like. I'm not going to talk about that from here. The White House is mum on the president's plans, but his announcement has been months in the making. Our intention is to run again. However, a new poll from the Associated Press says 73% of Americans do not want him to run again, including a majority of Democrats. But Democrats, by and large, say they're likely to vote for him if he's the nominee. That's a heck of a poll to come out two days before you announce you're running again as Joe Biden with I was just looking at a Washington Post article, which shows that Joe Biden has significantly less support among his own party than Obama did, than Trump did, than Clinton did when they were announced that they were going to run again. Significantly less, like a different world. And the number mm. one reason, according to NBC, is the age, which, uh, yeah. He's already the oldest president we've ever had. And more than that, uh, he's shown, you know, signs to all of us that he's getting older. This was a pretty big deal. Again, three days, because this was a Sunday New York Times, before he announces he's running again in the editorial board in the NYT. Biden should take voters' concerns about age seriously. Mr. Biden's age makes him an outlier, even in an era when the nation's political leadership is getting older. The current Senate, Senate. Senate it. What? The current Senate, the average, the average age is 64 years. It's the second oldest since 1789 when we started. 64 years. Average age wow. in the Senate. In the House, the average age. Yeah. In the House, the average age is about 58, the third oldest we've ever had. By comparison, by the, average, by the way, the average age in the United States is 38. So the average U.S. citizen is 38, the average senator is 64, the average House member is 58. Weird. But Mr. Biden has given voters very few chances to figure out if he's okay to watch him. They, they quoted the fact that he always says, watch me. Mr. Biden has given voters very few chances to do that, to watch him, and his refusal to engage with the public regularly raises questions about his age and health. Again, this is from the New York Times. The usual White House method of demonstrating a president's mastery is to take tough questions in front of cameras. But Mr. Biden has not taken advantage of that opportunity. As the Times reported on Friday, he has held fewer news conferences and media interviews than modern predecessors since 1923. That's a heck of a thing for the New York Times to come out with that, knowing he was going to announce this week. Everybody at the highest levels on the left side of the political margin is sending every signal they can. Don't do it. Just don't. Could you not? Please. Oh, you're going to. All right. That is so interesting. I mean, that the New York Times is so clearly throwing up a last gasp hail mary the guy's too friggin old at a moment where for instance no primary challenger has emerged unless you want to count marianne williamson i don't um, no serious uh, primary challenger has emerged nobody's even floated the idea really a completely different new york times article and maybe the new york times doesn't matter to you but it matters to big time democrats i guarantee you had a different article interviewing elite Democrats about their unprecedented reservations about the incumbent. One wealthy donor had considered circulating a letter this year to urge Mr. Biden not to run before the person was dissuaded by associates because it would have been for naught and have served to embarrass Mr. Biden, according to a person familiar with the episode. 
Some contributors have described being in a state of suspended and suppressed angst. Uh, nervously How would you, you not be? Of course. Folks are not going to the guys old as the hills and not functioning very well. And folks aren't going to cast a vote for another 18 months. A little more than that, really, isn't it? Yeah. Right. And as I heard uh, somebody on some show who was a lefty say, you got to you got to lie to yourself if you're not watching Joe Biden every time he talks and thinking that guy shouldn't be president. You have to lie to yourself to get there. So the Hill had an article entitled Five Questions as Biden Readies for His Reelection Launch. And now I haven't read the article yet. Here are my five questions. Number one, (laughs) will he live that long? (laughs) right number two will he be alive number three (laughs) will he be dead number four will he be north of the ground (laughs) exactly number five will his brain work for s Mm. their actual questions which i think are worthy of sharing how much enthusiasm can he generate we could take a minute on that or i could just oh boy that much huh how hard will he hit the campaign trail? Watch how, me. How hard? How hard will he hit the steps of the plane walking up? Watch me. Will any Will any primary challenger get traction at all? Yeah. The yeah. Democratic establishment. That's the part of that New York Times. The aspect of the New York Times aspect. I'm sorry. You know, if I don't use the right words, it's difficult to follow me. That's why I found that New York Times piece so intriguing. Anybody who so much as breathes, hey, I think we ought to primary the guy. is getting mowed down in Democrat circles. And yet that piece appears from the editorial board. His main challenger is St. Peter, I think. Pearly <laughs> Gates. Oh, my. Armstrong and Getty. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slam dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, 
or wherever you get your podcasts. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Listen to this. About a year and a half ago, I was asked to moderate a discussion at the home of a very prominent Hollywood producer. And the attendees that night was a who's who of A-listers and stars. The subject we all wanted to talk about that night was cancel culture. The most powerful witch hunters now were coming from Twitter, the Ivy League, and the progressive left. J.K. Rowling used to be a villain to the right because she wrote books about witchcraft. Now she's a villain to the left because she has the crazy belief that there's more to being a woman than pronouns and lipstick. Well, and the 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 crazies on the right who are angry about her witchcraft was a tiny, not important politically segment of society that didn't have much of a voice compared to the crowd on the left. Yeah, I would say that the uh, I don't like my kids reading about witches crowd, and I respect your beliefs. That's fine. But their being heard was entirely because the left enjoyed amplifying their voice. Right. right. They didn't have any power. That's my point. As opposed to, yeah, the crazies on the left who've got loads of power. Uh, that's Bill Maher, by the way. He uh, used to just be a stand-up comedian, and now he's kind of the conscience of older classic liberal america and has a show on hbo on friday nights yeah agreed good description of him uh, well he's a man of principle we might disagree on various ideas but he wants to hear other ideas uh, god bless him uh, a little more on the uh the topic of cancel culture and that sort of thing in three so that was the point of the evening how do we take a stand against cancel culture and i suggested since we were mostly all in show business that we start an award show to honor the brave people who have fought back. Our first award goes to the president of my alma mater, Cornell University, Martha Pollack. This month, students there demanded trigger warnings before all the lectures in case any of the adult subjects you specifically went to college to learn about came up. <laughs> and Martha said, yeah, no, we're not doing that. She didn't cave in. Or hire a new dean of sensitivity. She just said, no, colleges for introducing you to new ideas, not for kissing your ass and making you feel wonderful and always right. I got to believe the vast majority of America agrees with him on that. Oddly enough, yeah, oh yes, yeah, I think so. And and the the crowd that doesn't, a lot of them are operating on fear and just wanting to fit in. I think if you actually expose alternate, expose them to alternate ideas, you'll sway them. Because uh, the ideas are better on our side of it, much better. So he's going to give out a few more uh, awards. Uh, but first, uh, just a quick note so I don't forget, I've got some good news about college campuses. Just like uh, Mar was pointing out. But before we get there, uh, some more awards. What's the next one, Michael? Five? When dozens of Netflix employees walked out over Dave Chappelle's reckless decision to perform comedy on his comedy special. <laughs> 
CEO Ted Sarandos could have pulled the special, but instead he reminded his Netflix employees that comedy exists to push boundaries and told them if you'd find it hard to support our content breadth, Netflix may not be the best place for you. So, for making the phrase, don't let the door hit you in the ass, never sound better. This is for you, Ted. Yeah, I like these examples, and we have been saying for many, many years, why don't corporations just say no to these people when they complain? Your ho- your radio host, thinking about my own skin, your radio host said this, and that was outlandish. Sorry about that. You know, we, or, we strive to entertain little- people. Yeah. Oh, hey, we appreciate your concern. We'll we'll keep it in mind. Thanks for writing. That's fine. Yeah, that's it. That'd be fine. And it'll be. No, completely... you need to fire him. You need to fire him. Uh, we're not going to be doing that. And then you yeah you wait two days and nobody even remembers it. Now I'm familiar with the motion picture we're about to discuss, and uh, I can't wait to hear what his rationale is. Michael, let it rip. Movie lovers get together these days. One phrase that comes up a lot and always makes me sad is, "Yeah, you couldn't make that one today." Top of that list is the great Tropic Thunder. Which the scolds have been after for years. But in February, Ben Stiller tweeted, I make no apologies for Tropic Thunder. It's always been a controversial movie since when we opened, proud of it and the work everyone did on it. See, people, it's not that hard. So I don't remember the movie Tropic Thunder. Um, there were a couple of controversial aspects to it. Uh, number one, Ben Stiller was portraying a uh, uh, mentally handicapped uh, guy and gave the speech about how you can't go full disabled and win an Oscar. It's got to be like half disabled, like Forrest Gump or Rain Man. You can't go full on non-functional or you won't win an Oscar. <laughs> well, well, And yeah. then... And then let's leading up to the uh, the main dish, which, of course, is Robert Downey Jr. in blackface portraying a white actor portraying a black man because they really wanted him for the role. And he insisted on playing it as a black man. It's 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 really good, edgy comedy about racial identity and ego in Hollywood and that sort of stuff. Mm. And then Bill Maher's final point, which is worth making. And the lesson is, if you stand up to the mob for just a day or two, their shallow, impatient, immature, smartphone-driven, gerbil minds will forget about it and go on to the next nothing burger, and you, you still will have your cojones. Yeah, well, that's the point I was just making a little bit ago. Um, yeah, amen to that, times 100. I know you got a positive story about a college pushing back, but he used an example on Friday night, and I I don't remember if we've talked about this one or not, and I don't remember the university. I'm not sure it matters. But a university where a a law professor had uh, presented a hypothetical to his law students where a a black woman working somewhere had been called some uh, really negative words by her boss. But him, this law professor writing the hypothetical, knew that in this modern age, he couldn't write down the actual N-word or you'd mm-hmm. lose your job, even though that is anti-enlightenment and crazy. You can't even refer to a word to make the point about the word. He wrote the N-word. Mm-hmm. 
that wasn't still enough to trigger enough of the students that he has had to uh, uh, be suspended and he has to go for, I forget how many weeks and hours of retraining and sensitivity training, whatever, for having written the phrase, the N-word, referring to the actual word. So now we're one step further down the line of that magical power word. Yeah, that's one of the more famous, sickening, and clear examples of what we're talking about. It's just, it's difficult. Your people and are nuts. It's a little scary that it's happened. That that there are enough people with enough power that they don't see the horrors of of letting that happen. Right, and Bill Maher was or referring so crazy to that. They believe it. Yeah, the fact that he has to write a number of papers explaining how he's learned to become better. It's a classic struggle session from the Cultural Revolution days of, of China. It's exactly right. what it is. So yeah. crazy. You know, early in the show today, we were uh, discussing a uh, Twitter string from a, uh, a, a woman who survived the Cultural Revolution in China and is immigrated to America and become a proud American. Uh, immigrated to America, obviously. Um, and uh, and one of her main points was that during the Cultural Revolution, um, ideas that were against Chairman Mao and the Communist Party were not wrong or ill-advised or policies that just won't work, in quotes. They were rightist, in quotes, counter-revolutionary, dangerous, capitalist. So it wasn't about the ideas. It was about the person. You're anti-science, you're a racist, you're a white supremacist, you're a, you know, it's all about you are this sort of person who does not deserve to be part of society, as opposed to, no, you're wrong, that policy wouldn't work, or it would be ill-advised for this reason. No, it's about labeling you, so be careful when folks are doing that, because that's, that's very Maoist, very Soviet Union. By the way, the best book I've ever read to give me an idea what the uh, Cultural Revolution in China was like is China Dream. I've mentioned that book many times since I read it. It's a novel. It's a little challenging, a lot of dream sequences going back and forth in time. But it was such a great uh, explainer for me about what it was like for those young people at the time to, to wake up in the morning and see what the new rules were for what words you could say and what words you couldn't say to go out and punish people, kind of like what we're doing now. Right. It's ever changing. And the reason for that is not that the ideologues are fickle. It's that you must comply and then comply again tomorrow and comply the next day and constantly obey you. It's it's a, a, a an exercise in obedience, not in the, these words are clearly more just and, and, and virtuous and the rest of it. No, it's an exercise in obedience, which is one of the main reasons I will absolutely not say a man can give birth or do the pronoun thing, because that's not what it claims to be. It is similarly an exercise in obedience. And I, I won't engage in it. If you have to in your corporate environment to hang under your job because that's how you feed your family, I get it. I get it. Sure. But if you can stand up, please do stand up. Uh, quick note. Do we have time for this? Yeah, I'll make it short. Uh, David French wrote a really good column about how the sane kind of moral center of campuses is reasserting itself. He mentions uh, Stanford, uh, the uh, dean of the Stanford School of Law, Jenny Martinez, penning that 10-page memorandum that mandated a half day of instruction on free speech and legal norms. The fact that she had to write it is terrifying, but it was pretty eloquent. Although there should have been sanctions for the people who violated it. Anyway, Cornell University. Uh, Bill Maher mentioned that. No trigger warnings to the university president. 
Um, and uh, even at home. Good Lord for adults. I know. I know. I know. Isn't that something? We are infantilizing our young people. Uh, the faculty at Harvard University is also stepping up in an opinion essay in Boston Globe. Harvard Steven Pinker. I just happen to recommend uh, his enlightenment now uh, uh, via email last night. You should read it. It's wonderful. And yes, we'll post these at armstrongandgetty.com. Uh, and Bertha Madras announced the creation of the Council on Academic Freedom, a coalition of 50 faculty members and several other Harvard employees, quote, devoted to free inquiry and intellectual diversity and uh, civil discourse. Then he mentions similar stuff at the Vanderbilt University. University and University of Chicago. And actually, there's some interesting stuff going on at uh, University of North Carolina as well. Then my final note, I love this. Stanford, so brilliant, so rebellious for a long time. If you didn't know that, Stanford University used to be a hotbed of, you can't tell us what to think and learn and write about. We're going to explore the edges. It's now become an incredibly censoring, insular, only one set of ideas is allowed type institution in a lot of ways, which is just terrifying and awful. But uh, Maxwell Meyer, who I think he's a journalist. Uh, anyway, uh, he tweeted this the other day. Otherwise, I wouldn't have heard about it. A pro-athletics, pro-fraternity, pro-partying slate won the student body election at Stanford on a platform of, quote, fun strikes back. They fun were the strikes only back. They were the only candidates who weren't already in student government. Woke students were absolutely livid. Uh, and he goes into detail a little bit. Um uh, da, 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 da. Stanford used to be weird and wonderful. Where did the fun go, they wrote in their campaign. Stanford today is a completely sanitized version of its former self. Administrators have meddled in every aspect of student life to strip Stan Stanford of its character. In the process, they disrupted the organic, wacky, and inclusive spontaneity, spontaneity that made Stanford so special. Uh, and then their, their official campaign poster was probably drunk college students cavorting in a lake on funny blow-up toys <laughs> and they won um here's one uh, reaction from the lefty students i get how republicans convince swarms of selfish cowards to vote for them now hopefully when nothing gets done because all they have is empty promises with no actual experience working with administration people will notice i would love to be proven wrong all right fine yeah i uh so I'm wondering, is this period we're going through just a blip? We'll all look back and think, what was going on then? That was weird. Or not. To take a bromide from the world of sports, Jack, that's why you play the games. It depends <laughs> what we do where this turns historically. Who's going to win the wrestling match? Yeah, the problem is, I mean, Bill Maher's 70 years old. Um, as I talk about all the time, the, the, the liberals speaking out about this are all old. Are there many on the younger end? I mean, you just quoted some there from Stanford. But uh, those of us who remember what the world used to be like are dying off every day. <laughs> well, that's why uh, you young people listening, you got the chance to be heroes. Take up the uh, fight. Uh, you're the future of our nation. Uh, there's more on the way. Armstrong and Getty.
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rock the baby to sleep and slam dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Armstrong and Getty Show. So our military is amazing, evacuating diplomats from Sudan in the middle of a crazy war that they've got going on right uh, now. Here's a description of how that went down, David Martin of CBS. So the aircraft went in at night, low level, and they had 100 uh, special operations uh, commandos on board. Those commandos set up a perimeter around this landing zone that was just outside the embassy and guarded that perimeter while the, uh, the diplomats boarded the helicopters. Overhead, there were two C-130 aircraft, mm-hmm. uh, one of which was for communications, the other was a gunship ready to take anybody who tried to uh, approach the embassy under fire. They were on the ground for a little more than half an hour. Wow. Uh, no shots were fired. And, uh, and then they were back on their uh, way. Somebody uh, called it a, a pretty easy in and out, but it was a long and grueling night. I mean, from start to finish, it was 17 hours. 17 hours. They flew 800 miles in those super fancy helicopters we have, 100 feet off the ground in the dead of night, and then did what he just described there. 
part of it, I'm not taking anything away from the amazing part of it, uh, what we accomplished is, but part of it is those war generals that are battling it out for controlling the country, they don't want the United States involved in this. They don't oh, want no. to kill any Americans. They don't want to bring that heat down on them. It's possible we got the word to them, hey, y'all back off. We're coming in. We're getting our people. We're getting out of there. Yeah, that's 100% what we did. We reached out to their people and said, we're doing this. Uh, if there's so much as a, a 38 caliber revolver shot at us, we're gonna we're gonna come at you. And so the generals had their people stand down and, and do the right thing. Thank goodness. Hey, because uh, we didn't want another mo- freaking Black Hawk down situation. Right. In the remaining moments, uh, does anybody here has anybody here ever played Dungeons and Dragons? I've heard of it my whole life or adult life, but I don't. I've never. A couple played of my it. kids have, but I haven't. They did. Did they get very into it or? pretty did you ever play it michael never just like you have heard of it but never played it yeah, it's kind of got a nerd vibe i understand which i don't like i don't like that sort of thing nerd uh, is hot that's the that's the highest uh, status these days true my youngest is super into it they got a club at school and then we were at a shop in town where they had a three-hour dungeons and dragon tournament on saturday now, his brother makes fun of him for being a nerd. I, on the other hand, am happy to have my kids involved in anything that's not like smoking pot behind the, you know, skateboard yeah. park. Right. So <laughs> if you're involved in anything that is semi-productive and fun, I'm all for it. Um, but, God, it's its, whole, it's its whole own world. But I, what, one thing I noticed is the guy running that thing was just same thing as the baseball coach, dedicating his time on a Saturday afternoon to teach a bunch of kids something, you know, for free, obviously. Mm-hmm. And uh, I appreciate people who do that sort of thing. Yeah, my son played in role-playing games like that a fair amount. And then the shops who often run it have a profit motive, obviously. Oh, of course they do. In yeah. the same way that a music store uh, sponsors programs for uh, you know high school bands to have a contest or whatever. But the people who run a music store are also musicians who love music and want kids oh, yeah. to play, same as the Dungeon & Dragon people. Oh, that's not a negative at all. I mean, it's a natural uh, relationship, and uh, I think it's great, yeah. Yeah, I'm all for uh, being involved in anything, whether you're a band geek, Dungeons & Dragons geek, uh, the theater geek, sports geek, whatever. Be a geek of some sort. Well, and you got to use your brain playing those games, too. So what the heck? Strategic. Have fun. Don't be a sit-around, stare-at-the-TV geek. That's the wrong kind of geek. Uh, if you miss an hour of this show, grab the podcast Armstrong and Getty On Demand. Armstrong and Getty. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you ask two people the same seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including Courtney Cox, Rob Delaney, Liz Fair, and many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. 
More Than a Movie is back with season two. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos' picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.